0: Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Let me say it again. Welcome to Sky Pilot an international podcast. As you listen, know that you are joining listeners not just across this nation, but from places as far away as France, England, Argentina, Cyprus, Australia, and India. And I am delighted, honored, and more than a little excited to bring us together each week through a question. The topic this week comes from a listener in Knoxville. Is the church hiding secret texts? The year was 2003, and I was teaching a class for people who had newly joined or were thinking about joining our church. I was talking about the Bible and explaining how the book that we call the Bible today came into being. As I finished a portion of my teaching, someone said, Well, that's not all of it, is it? There are books, secret books, that the church has kept away from public eyes. And those books, I understand they tell a very different story of what happened to Jesus. So they're not allowed into the open, are they? Now, after a few questions, I discovered that his source of information was the novel, The Da Vinci Code. Interestingly, it was not more than a couple of days later that I found myself in the car listening to an interview with Dan Brown, the author of The Da Vinci Code. I decided right then and there that I needed to read this book. Now I'll say a couple of things about the novel. First, it is very entertaining. It's a frenetically paced who done it. And it's a fun read with in my opinion a really disappointing ending. It's disappointing in the sense that it seemed like he had an idea for a novel and not a very interesting way of ending it. Or perhaps the opposite was true. Perhaps he started with the place he wanted to end up, and the entire book was a fast-paced, twisting tale intended to get the reader to this point. But the final location was not very interesting. Either way, given the exciting pace of the rest of the book, I expected something equally exciting as an ending, and in my opinion. It just didn't deliver. I was also fascinated by the interview I heard with Dan Brown. He spoke of how much research he had done. And although the characters were fictional, aspects of the book, mostly meaning what it said about Christianity and the Catholic Church, was, according to him, accurate and factual. In the introduction to the book, he makes a statement about the reliability of the novel. He says... All descriptions of documents and secret rituals are accurate. Though I enjoy the novel as an entertaining page-turner, I tend to think scholarly work and novels should be mingled only when very carefully done. Notice he doesn't say, we have endeavored to make them accurate. We have tried to be as accurate as we can. He just says flat out, they're accurate, period. What is clear about his novel is that rather than really doing the accurate historical work of a piece of historical fiction, he took a little bit of truth, a lot of disproven conspiracy theory, and some outright fancy and presented it as accurate. Okay, does it even matter? It's just a novel. And at one level, no, it really doesn't. But at another level, it is presented as factual. When at best, much of it is wild conjecture and has a significant portion of the novel that's been disproven by independent scholars. And in this case, when I say independent, I mean scholars who are part of academia that's not employed by the church. And also on the personal negative side in regard to this novel, I found myself right after it came out frequently dealing with people who felt they knew that the church had secrets and unseen stories of the life of Jesus that it had kept from the public for 2,000 years. And their proof was that they had read a novel that had a note in the front saying they could trust it. So at this point, here's a fair question. Well, are there books, stories of Jesus' life that were excluded from the Bible, and are kept hidden from the public eyes? The answer is, oh, absolutely, and also definitely not. So let's begin by talking about the word apocrypha. The origin of this word is Greek and actually means secret or hidden. It's a word that was used both in early Christianity and other faiths to describe books that have secret knowledge that's deemed to be too powerful and important to be allowed to be seen or read by the common person. Aha! You might be thinking, a word that means secret, hidden documents, early Christianity. We are on to a true conspiracy. Well, it's not quite so exciting as that. You see, there was the main branch of Christianity— the majority of people who followed the teachings of Jesus as were taught to them by the disciples and followers of the disciples. Then there were also some small breakoff groups claiming to have knowledge that the disciples didn't have and so didn't pass along. These groups were called Gnostics, a word that appropriately comes from the Greek word for knowledge. Appropriate because they were claiming to have secret knowledge. As I said, they tried to claim that they had Previously undiscovered documents that contain truth and theology that had never been revealed before. And many of the Gnostic groups used this as a lure. You need to join their subset of Christianity to be privy to the secrets they hold. Many faiths, not just Christianity, have small subset splinter groups that are Gnostic in the sense that they claim to have secret information only available to you if you join their group. But for the most part, mainline faiths, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, are all open books. I can say with confidence that there's nothing said or taught by the church I attend or the synagogue down the street from my house or the mosque I have visited downtown that's not publicly available to everyone. And on a personal note, I'm wary of any faith that is a secret society. If you really have some deep and profound insight into our nature, into the world, into our creator? Why keep it hidden and only share it with a select few? Why not share it out loud and make it public? Now back to the word apocrypha. The word has come to mean something different over the years. Now it doesn't so much mean secret, but instead outside the mainstream. In terms of the Bible, we speak of canon, meaning the books that are set and understood to be part of the Bible. If you wrote a new book and you wanted to have it considered for inclusion in the Bible, well, you're out of luck. No new books are up for consideration. The accepted books that are in the Bible right now are a locked-in set. Matter of fact, the word canon is not just used in this way to describe the Bible. If you were to look up, say, Sherlock Holmes on Wikipedia, you will discover an article entitled The Canon of Sherlock Holmes. In this case, the word canon means the authentic books, stories of Sherlock Holmes. It begins by saying that there are 56 short stories and four novels in the recognized canon, and that's it. New books aren't being included. So the word canon simply means the list is locked. In this situation, there are some writings that are deemed to be apocryphal, meaning they are writings that appear to be similar in style and are about Sherlock Holmes, but they are not part of the canon. Again, within the world of Sherlock Holmes stories, there are those apocryphal writings, but for the most part, they're fan fiction. Although every once in a while, there will be a rumor of a new original authentic story by Arthur Conan Doyle that has been uncovered. I don't think any of those turn out to be legitimate, though. The Bible's a bit more complicated because we have two different words that are similar but have very specific meanings. We have the Apocrypha, and we have writings that are apocryphal. In our case, the word Apocrypha is almost always preceded by the article the. Just as we normally precede the two main parts of the Bible with the same article, we normally talk about the New Testament or the Old Testament. And for us, the article, the word the, is a way of saying there aren't several Old Testaments. When we say the Old Testament, we mean there's only one, and it is very specific grouping of books that doesn't change. So the designation, the Apocrypha, is more than just a group of books that are outside the normal canon. It's a very specific group of books that were in the Bible until the Protestant Reformation. Then some of the Reformers took them out altogether. Some of the Reformers placed them still in the Bible, but in a different section of the Bible, and the Catholics and Eastern Orthodox retained them in their Bibles, Let me say a little more about that. At the time of Jesus, the translation of Scripture in use in many Jewish worship communities was called the Septuagint. And I talked about the Septuagint in episode 17 of the podcast, talking about the role of sacred texts within different faith traditions. Suffice it to say that at the time of Jesus, many Jews didn't speak or read Hebrew as they were scattered across many lands. So the form of their scripture that became ubiquitous across almost every land for Judaism was called the Septuagint. The name comes from the Greek word 70 and stems from the tradition that the translation was created by 70 translators working independently. Now jump forward 1,500 years from the time of Jesus to the time of the Reformation. During this era The Bible translation in common use across the Catholic Church was called the Vulgate. It was a Latin translation that had been created by a brilliant yet difficult man named Jerome. And I'll just say as an aside, I've always been fascinated by Jerome, so there's probably a future podcast episode telling his interesting story. So when the Reformation began to take shape, many of the Reformers wanted to place emphasis only on Scripture. Churches were built that were bare of decorations because decorations and religious art were things that might detract from the intended sole focus, which was Scripture. As the Reformers began to focus on the Bible, they realized that the Vulgate contained a handful of books in the Old Testament that were present in the Septuagint but didn't seem to be part of the Jewish texts before the Septuagint. The books were not recently written. They all dated to about 200 to 400 years before Jesus lived. But they had somehow been added to the Septuagint, though none of them show up previously in Hebrew Scripture. To add to the problem, some passages of these disputed books were contrary to what the Protestants were teaching. And they were also used by the Catholic Church to reinforce things that the Protestants didn't like. So many Protestant churches removed these books from the Bible, period. The Catholics readdressed their presence in the Bible at the Council of Trent and decided to keep them, so they continue to be in Catholic publications of Scripture to this day. The Lutherans and the Anglicans, Anglicans meaning a group of churches who trace their roots to England in the United States. This is the Episcopal Church as a part of that group. So the Lutherans and the Anglicans include these books in their Bibles, but they place them in a separate section. So Back, say, to the King James Version when it was created and Martin Luther's own translation, the Apocrypha is pulled out of the Old Testament but given its own designation, and these Bibles have three sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Apocrypha. Also, Calvin, Luther, and even today most churches that include the Apocrypha as a third section of their Bibles make a statement that the Apocrypha is worthy of reading and study, but church doctrine should not be based on it the churches are saying these books are edifying but don't have the same authority as the other books of the Bible. So we now know what the Apocrypha is. How is it different from Apocryphal books? As I said, there's another group of books with that similar name. They're Apocryphal writings. This type of book has no official number, so there's not a specific number of apocryphal books, nor are there any Bibles containing apocryphal books. Again, these are books that were written, but for some reason, these were not included in the canon. They are extra-ancient books that didn't make the cut. So are these books, the hidden books, the ones that the public's not supposed to see that Dan Brown seemed to imply we're being hidden by the church? Because I think that's what Dan Brown wants you to believe is that this group of books, the apocryphal books, are the ones that are hidden. But no, they aren't. These books are readily available. They've been available in libraries for generations. They're now available online to anyone who wants to read them. So why did these apocryphal writings get deemed Not ready for prime time. Well, mostly because of theology. For example, there's one of the apocryphal books called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas, and it contains mostly stories of Jesus' childhood. The problem with this book is that it seems at odds with what we know about Jesus. At one point, the little boy Jesus is playing with clay, and as he plays, he molds the clay, forming little birds. And then he turns them into real birds suddenly and watches them fly away. Well, okay, that seems cute, but it seems harmless. Let's say sweet and harmless. What's the problem there? Well, in the same gospel, there's another story where little Jesus has created a small dam just to form a little pool on the ground of rainwater to play with. And another little boy breaks the dam and lets the water flow out. So, according to this gospel, Jesus the child strikes him dead. At another point, Jesus causes the adults of the village to go blind and even strikes down one of his teachers in yet another story. This gospel seems to portray the boy Jesus with infinite power, capriciously using the power to kill and heal as the whim strikes him. Matter of fact, More than once in this gospel, he kills somebody only later on to bring them back. Now, I haven't read all of the apocryphal books that are out there, but I've done a fair bit of reading of different books within that category. And in every single case that I've read, I pretty quickly thought, oh, of course this one didn't make it into the Bible. As I said Many of these books didn't make it in the Bible because of theology. Some didn't make it in because they just never got enough traction to be well known, and some were written late enough as to not have the same recognized authority as books that were written closer to the life of Jesus. What I can say definitively is that there are lots of other books Some we have in their entirety, some of them we have only scraps remaining, but none are secretly held from public view. And because of the internet, they are even more available today than they've ever been. And if you want to read them, by all means, check them out. This is one of the things I love about Christianity. God is infallible. Humans, not so much. Even humans who are following God have been known to make mistakes, sometimes big ones. Our history is pretty much an open book. You want to know the books that didn't get included in the Bible? They're readily available for you to read. Oh, and the stories that did make it into the Bible are not always pristinely beautiful. But the book is open. If you read Scripture, you will see that the disciples were often, well, they were often a mess. And some of the characters in the Old Testament did truly cringeworthy things. But to our credit, those stories are still right there in the Bible. We didn't edit them to make ourselves look better or expunge them from our history. And we continue to be at our best when we are honest. And if we're honest, the history of the Christian church in the United States is spotted by Some awfully bad choices at times, like the fact that most of the churches and denominations were complicit in the institution of slavery. The path to being the church God calls us to be is not to clean up our story so we look good, but to tell our story honestly, warts and all, so future generations can learn from our mistakes and our honesty. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Please feel free to get in touch with me through email or Twitter. I just remind you that both are SkyPilot with three Ts, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. My email is skypilot at gmail.com and my Twitter handle is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.